Hello and welcome to Soul Family Chat, where we explore new visions and possibilities for life on Earth. I'm Guy Harvey, your host. And if you'd like to be notified of uh, further interviews with mystics, visionaries, and way showers, uh, please uh, subscribe below so you get notified of all the new shows. And today, uh, I'm absolutely thrilled to have uh, Adam Smith uh, uh, with us. Uh, Adam is a UK-based astrologer specializing in Vedic astrology. He gives consultations, facilitates Vedic remedies. He's been practicing transcendental meditation for over 35 years, and he has a degree in comparative religion. And his articles and magazines and columns have appeared all over the world and have been syndicated to millions of people. Uh, welcome, Adam. Hi, Guy. Thanks. Yeah, it's great, great, great to have you here. Uh, First question I have for you, Adam, is uh, you're a professional Vedic astrologer, so that's uh, a fairly uh, unusual profession. How did, you get, how did you get to become a professional Vedic astrologer? What was the journey that, that led you to this? Yeah, I don't think anybody starts off in life thinking, I know what I'll be. I'll be an astrologer. I don't think it tends to work like that for, for most people. Um, so my journey began really i as you said i i learned to to meditate when i was quite young um back in 1985 and um having a a good system of meditation kind of oriented me towards um you know seeking looking for mysteries in life and so on and then a few years after that um well i i knew a lot of people who were astrologers you know from from quite early on and as luck would have it there was a a course, a class that was literally over the road from where I used to live in London, which was uh, a year's um, kind of like foundation course, evening class in astrology. So I took that class, which was in Western astrology at that time. And um, it kind of grew up around me from then, really. I mean, I started to mix in those sorts of circles. There's quite a lot of astrology goes on in London. There's quite a lot of different schools. Um, and the, the, sort of the climate is quite sort of tolerant there for it. I think in some places it's, you know, it's, it's frowned on more than others, but it's, it's, London's quite open to it. So I, I studied that course and began from there. And really it wasn't a conscious um, intent that I'm going to thought, I know I'm going to follow this and I'm going to go into this and I'm going to go and do this. It just kind of led me in that direction and after a few years, I started working in astrology. I started to do consultations, started to do um, commercial work, writing columns and so on. And for a while there in the early 2000s, I was very, very busy with that um, work, with, with magazine work, while magazines were still viable. Um, I think print journalism generally has been sort of falling off with the internet and so on. But now with the internet, there's so much more scope to do your own media and so on. But, you know, basically to get back to your question is it, it wasn't really a conscious intent, but it just, it's just one of those things. It's kind of like it, it starts off maybe as a paying hobby and just gradually grows up around you, basically. Great. I wanted to get back to learning meditation. You said you learned uh, meditation, transcendental meditation, which is uh, yeah. taught by 
Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who's known to many people as the guru of the Beatles, and you and I have that in common, that we both practice yeah. Transcendental Meditation, and we both uh, studied with uh, Maharishi for, for many years. Uh, what attracted you or drove you to want to learn to meditate, and what changed in your life, what experiences uh, changed for you, and, and, how, and how is that kind of connected to uh, becoming yeah, I mean, an astrologer? Again, it wasn't something which I felt I was conscious. Although when I was quite a bit younger, when I was really just a kid, I used to sort of try and teach myself to, to meditate out of books and that kind of thing. I was just interested in, in that kind of thing. But a friend of mine got into it and just sort of said, you know what, I've, I've learned TM. I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, good for you. Um, didn't really think twice about it. But then gradually, um, you know, we start to have more sort of in-depth conversations about it. I thought, I've got to do this thing. I've really got to do this thing. And um, got my mantra, learnt, and um, it was great. And it was, it, it filled a gap. And again, even at quite a young age, it was just, I was conscious that there was kind of something missing without that, you know, in terms of school, I was at the age when they're trying to get you into issues and start to argue about politics and sort of making the world a better place and stuff. And I just thought there's something missing here. I'm not quite, there's something I'm not quite getting. And when the meditation came along, I thought, ah, right, that's it. That's what, actually what I've been searching for. So even, even then I was aware that, um, and one of the first things that I really wanted to do after I learned to meditate was actually go back to school. It actually made me want to get back into education. So I sort of saw education in a kind of in a better light after that. I had the same experience. I dropped out of university yeah. and then yeah, exactly. transcendental meditation, and then 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 I went back and, and finished yeah. my bachelor's degree. So so you could so you can relate to that. I mean, and I I did the um, the, the advanced uh, cities course a couple of years later because I was like you know I was pretty pretty into it. And um, it made me want just to so people that. understand that's uh, an advanced form of transcendental meditation, and it's based on the uh, from the Vedic texts from the sutras of uh, Patanjali, correct? Yeah, yeah. So it, it gives you kind of a you do a sort of slightly longer me daily meditation program, and it gives you kind of a, a more integrated feel. It gives you increased intuition, and so on. And it's just it's just kind of generally. Um, you feel that things are moving a bit quicker when you do the, this, this uh, additional course. And um, so with that kind of under my belt, I kind of felt that I was more ready to go back into education. I wanted to study. I felt more positively about the whole thing. And as far as astrology goes, then um, that sense of increased intuition, that feeling of being more interconnected with the world is very much where astrology is coming from because without something to cultivate your intuition, you know, astrology is more than just a, an intellectual kind of cerebral experience. It is, it, is about, it is very much about developing your consciousness and the relationship, you know, the interrelationship of um, all things in the world. And, um, it's, it's about, that, I mean, is it about uh, your relationship with the cosmos? I mean, with yeah, your, with yeah. Your, and arguably it's sort of saying that actually there, there's a cosmos inside all of us and there's yes. macrocosm and microcosm. And the, the more open you are, the more your consciousness is developed, the more of that you kind of express and understand. And you can bring that into your readings, basically. And so that was sort of like pre preparing the ground for, for much later on, me 
understanding Vedic astrology because really Vedic astrology in particular, I mean, it comes out of the yoga tradition. So it really comes out of the same roots as where transcendental meditation comes from. And really it's kind of almost 50, 50. You've got half book learning, half experience, and you really have to have both. So it's as based and even in the West, there's a saying it's, it's not the astrology, it's the astrologer. So if the astrologer is particularly open and intuitive, then they will probably get, you'll probably get a better reading from somebody like that than somebody who just goes purely by the numbers and purely by the, by the book. Wow. Well, I just want to come back to one thing you said about uh, that it's within us. And you're probably familiar with the work of Dr. Tony Nader, where he uh, made this uh, correspondence between uh, the, Vedic, uh, the Vedic literature and finding that the exact same structure was located in the human physiology. In other words, the human physiology is the exact same sort of structure as, the, as the, this cosmic structure. Yeah. And he actually located parts of the human body that correspond to some of the major planets. Is that, is that right? Yeah. I mean, uh, Dr. Nader's work is fathoms deep, um, highly esoteric, something that you know, very few people probably understand. But the idea is that um, there's cosmic counterparts that the, actually the, the, the different, the nine planets rule different parts of the brain. And so when they are, those planets are activated, it's going to stimulate different parts of your brain and your physiology. And that has a direct effect on, on us down here on, on, on the earth. Uh, excellent. So can you uh, just go a bit more deeper into what is the practical application of astrology? Like you said, more than just uh, being just an interest or a vanity for somebody. Yeah. I mean, what, what's the real so application? It, it, and you know this famous quote that's, that's out there that uh, attributed to no one probably uh, that... Um, you know, uh, your billionaires practice astrology. <laughs> Millionaires don't practice astrology. Billionaires do. Yes, this one. Well, it's always been it's always been a subject. I mean, there's this kind of that's kind of like a joke, but it, it, astrology has always been a subject for kind of like kings and the, the sort of the upper crust. Um, and um, the the premise of it basically is that time itself has qualities. Um, the the temptation is is generally to think of your life as being just one day after the next and one day is the same as the next and just you know it's just going on and on and on but astrology says that time itself each day has its own qualities and that at certain points in life are going to be favorable for for certain things and not so favorable for others and you can and this is predictable and also by looking at the past it will give you an idea of the present and also the future you can see life going in terms of cycles and this is very helpful, particularly if you're having difficulties in life, if you're in a, in a bad place or you feel a little bit stuck, you say, well, actually, this is just a place that I'm in right now. This is not how life is going to be forever going onwards and forwards. Then uh, I'm in this time for a, a, a period of time and then it's going to be gone. It's like the clouds come, maybe cover the sun up and then it's going to move on and disappear. So that's knowing, a, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a beautiful point, um, Adam. And a Vedic astrologer that I consulted with, 
and I spent some time with him in India, he, he was talking about Westerners and marriage. And he said, look, I've, I've looked at charts of Westerners and I've seen that, yeah, there's a very difficult per period in their marriage, but if they hang on and go through this, yeah. then they'll, they'll have a good period afterwards. And I think the, with marriage in the West is a tendency, hey, it's not going so well, it's very easy. You can, get a, you can get a divorce yeah. off the shelf kind of thing and move on. Yeah. And he gave, me, he gave me an example of one of his clients and, and his client uh, was a woman. And he said, this is a really tough period. But if you, you know, if you leave the marriage at this point, then it, you, you're gonna have a difficult life. But if you, if you stay in with this, uh, you'll get to a better period and she did. And her husband became very, very prosperous and, and they had a very happy life from, from, from there on. I, thought, I found that uh, remarkable. And it's like what you're saying, it, it's focusing on a bigger picture, right? The long-term, yeah. broader perspective. Yeah. And, and, and particularly if you're having a bad time, particularly if you are sort of struggling and then it's very good to know that there's a roadmap, just, just a, a sense that you're not always going to be in this place, that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And there's always something more positive to move towards because we've all had that feeling, whether it's in a, we've been stuck for a couple of years or just feeling very different from one day to the next or feeling very different in the morning than, than you do in the afternoon. It can be down to the local level, it could be down to something that you ate, but it's um, at a more general level. It's just the feeling that the planets do tend to dictate how we feel from one day to the next and how you feel determines how you're going to perform, how you perform determines how successful you're going to be. And success is, it's all relative. It success means, you know, feeling fulfilled inside yourself, but just a sense that there's somebody there saying that it isn't always necessarily going to be like this, and that you're going to move out of this time and that there's going to be better times to come. So at a very simple level, that's, that, that's the premise of astrology, that time has qualities. And that that's, that's really, really valuable. And the idea is that hopefully that you, you leave an astrology reading feeling better, feeling more optimistic, feeling more aware of your talents. Because again, in my experience of reading for people, people are very aware of their challenges. They're very aware of their difficulties, but not so much of their skills and talents. You tell someone that they might be great at administration or they're a great leader or they're a great artist or something like that, or they can do a certain thing. They say, yeah, but, you know, anybody can do that. Well, actually, no, anybody can't do that. And that being aware that and, and sitting down with somebody who doesn't know you, who can just say, objectively speaking, you are actually very good at this. And this is something which you could do, you know, be very successful at or be very fulfilled at is quite an affirming experience. It's quite empowering and that it tends to lift people's spirits and they go away feeling better and more positive. And it's, again, it's quite objective. Um, you can see that just from looking at their birth maps. And, um, and that really is the benefit of astrology. There, there's an aspect in Vedic astrology where you can pick a time to start a new venture. Uh, can you yeah. talk a little bit about that? So that's, that's an extension of the same thing. Like in, in Vedic astrology, they call it Mahurta. In, even in Western astrology, it's um, electing a time. So it's kind of rather than being um, not necessarily at the mercy, but rather than waiting for times to come, you actually reverse engineer a time. 
So you can say, actually, this would be very good if you had X here and Y here. And if we could get uh, a position in life and in time where these were aligned, then this, this ought to be very auspicious for a particular thing. So you would elect a marriage, you would elect a start date for a business, you can elect all sorts of things. And in a very traditional Indian culture, then really nothing gets done without um, a good election where the, the pundit or the Jyotishi would um, determine uh, an auspicious time to do a, a given thing. And that again is, is very traditional astrology. It's very fundamental astrology. It could be something as basic as picking a day of the week because the days of the week in all cultures are, are ruled by the stars. Sunday, the moon day, Mars day, Mercury's day, Thursday, which is Jupiter's day, Friday, which is Venus, Saturday, which is Saturn, obviously. And so just picking a day like that is actually astrological election at its most basic. And just doing those kinds of things just weights things a little bit in your favor. and just means that you're taking control of your life a, a bit more rather than just waiting for things to, to happen to you. Yeah, it's beautiful that the total potentiality of your life or adventure is contained in that moment of, uh, of birth. And yeah. I've also learned about another aspect of Vedic astrology where you ask a question and then it's based on the time of the question. Yeah. I, I, can't, uh, I can't remember exactly how you pronounce the name of that. The, um, again, in Vedic astrology, they call that Prashna. Yes, yes, um, Prash, Prashna. And, um, yeah. and um, again, that's, that's a tradition in the West also, which they call Horary, as in Horary, as in of the hour. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a very rich tradition in both uh, hemispheres or both sides of the globe. It's both traditions. And um, certainly in the West, Hori is what you're taught first in a very sort of strict traditional kind of way that you're, you're given um, Hori, say, interrogations to do first and to learn how to answer questions of astrology before they'll let you loose on somebody's horoscope or an actual human beings horoscope and so learning that and it's a different um, system whereas the system of nativity is, is your birth map and the idea that you've got a blueprint when you come into life this is just uh, it's more purely divinatory so it has more in common with say tarot cards or runes um, or rolling the I Ching it's just purely in the moment that there is something inherent in you asking that question that is going to yield an answer. And the point of that is that you can't just answer questions, ask questions willy nilly, that the question has to be heartfelt. It has to be something which is really truly pressing because if you just ask something for purely idle speculation or just a, uh, an off, off, off the cuff inquiry, the astrology isn't really going to come together. Well, okay. it's, it's, it's only really going to be radical um, and really meaningful astrology if the question really comes from a pressing inquiry, something which you really, really mean. And sometimes you will get um, a message from somebody who's really stewing about something or, or really been mulling a question over. And then at those times, horary stroke prajna really is the best kind of astrology. It really is so um, on point that, um, and it really will answer a question. And, and and point to a resolution also, because it's not just, a, not just a case of just talking about the, the question, it's about sort of how it's going to resolve itself and where you're going to sort of um, come out of that situation.
Um, excellent. So now I have the, uh, the million dollar question, which is about uh, free will and fate and determinism and how that mm -hmm. relates to astrology. So for example, when you read somebody's birth chart, is their life set from, from the story that it tells there? Or does the person have the, the free will and think, ability to, to make changes in, in their life? Yeah, it's, as you say, it's a, it's a zillion dollar question and um, good luck trying to answer it. But my, my feeling on it has changed really. I've moved more in the direction of more being slightly more fatalistic. The impression is, the, the belief often is, particularly by Westerners, is that um, Vedic astrology and Eastern thought in general is very fatalistic. But my experience has been, it's not so much that it's inherently fatalistic as so much as it has more technique. Vedic astrology has more techniques to account for where you are in life at any given time. So as well as the, the cycles of the planets and how they interact with each other, it has periods of time, it has more patterns to, um, and more parameters which tell you where you are and what's the, and the influences that are acting upon you. And so one of the eye-openers for me when I was studying Vedic astrology was, oh, there's so much more acting on me at any given time. And I think that is often the experience that people have when they learn astrology and think, I didn't realize there was so much to it you go from most people know their sun signs and you realize well you've got a rising sign you've got a mercury venus mars jupiter saturn and all the rest of it how they relate to each other you've got the houses and so on and there's a lot going on there so my feeling is that in broad terms we're probably about 75 percent fated and maybe 25 percent free will that's again that's very broad brush strokes but i think we have a certain amount of choice to make we have the ability to make um, intelligent choices and that's supposed to be the um, the gift of being in a human body mm -hmm. that we can that we have the power to choose um, but never think that the, the choices that you're making there's, there's not an awful lot weighing on you and acting on you at, at any given time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so using intelligent choices and having discrimination is very very important um, and being informed by your astrology is also very useful for for making good choices um it's not supposed to be something where you just sort of sit back and let things wash over you far from it again with, with the idea that you can elect certain times you can choose certain moments you can wait out a certain point and play the long game and say actually no if i just don't jump in here but i wait for um a more auspicious time then actually it's going to benefit me more. But sitting back passively, um, there's, there's never a time which is perfect. So um, it is a mixture of, of action and deliberation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I had a conversation with uh, an Indian Vedic astrologer, a very experienced one, uh, many years ago. And he said, from his experience, when he read the charts of people that he considered not to have, say, a strong spiritual practice in their life, that 
he was more accurate in their prediction. And then when he read charts of people that were meditating, mm -hmm. spending a lot more time meditating, uh, he found that it was harder uh, to predict, to predict the, the charts. And you know, my understanding from that, because I've, uh, we, we talked about Maharishi, the teacher of uh, Transcendental Meditation earlier, and he talked about that in the sense that when we transcend, then we're sort of going into you know, the infinite source level and then recreating from there. And so we, we can create a new reality from there. So do you have any uh, thoughts on that? That, 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 makes, that makes total sense. And, and I remember when um, through um, my early um, experience of the Vedic astrologers from the, from the TM movement, I think when you're filling out your form to, uh, to have your consultation done, they want to know how long you've been meditating. So um, the idea that how well, self-realized or whatever actualized that you hopefully will be would have an effect on how the planets are going to affect you. So yes, it makes total sense that if you're, um, if you're not as conscious or if you're not as open, then you would be a little bit more predictable. Mm -hmm. You would be a, a little bit more kind of um, passive, let's say, or not at the mercy of the planets necessarily, but they would act on you in a more kind of stereotype kind of way, which would make it easier to predict that that actually makes total sense. Very, uh, very good. Can we take a few moments to talk about, you know, what, yeah, what are the structural differences between Western astrology and Vedic, Vedic astrology? Sort of in layman terms so people can uh, yeah. people understand. And then there's another term, uh, sidereal. <laughs> so those are three terms. You've got Western astrology, sidereal yeah. astrology, and and and, and Vedic uh, astrology. Yeah, I mean this is this is all um, quite a. It's it, it's well. It's, first of all, the difference between differences between Western astrology and Vedic astrology. Um, first of all, they're more similar than most people imagine. I think even a lot of Western astrologers, or maybe particularly Western astrologers, assume that Vedic astrology is super different. And that really is a lot down to the, um, the language. It's, it's just simply different. Often it's simply different names for the same things. But um, the zodiac is identical. There, there is only one and can only be one zodiac. So it's 12 equal divisions of 360 degrees. And that's the same west and east. And whereas in the West, we have Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, and so on. In, in India, it's the same. It, it's Mesha, it's Vishabha, it's, it's Kark, and so on, Mithuna. It's the, but it's, what I'm saying, it's, it's the same. And so the, the signs are the same. The houses are more or less the same. The aspects, the relationship between the planets are very similar. And though... Eastern astrology has additional techniques. One of the main techniques, additional techniques that Vedic astrology has is the idea of planetary periods. So that not only are the planets acting upon each other in their different orbits, but there are also these planets, these periods of time. So you're going to be of different length 
but you're going to be ruled by, for example, Venus or Saturn or Mercury for a period of time in your life. And there's different ways of doing these planetary periods, but there's one main system of dashas which determines where you are in life. And the always follows the same pattern, but that's one of the main additional techniques that Vedic astrology has. Vedic astrology is also very good at determining powerful charts. One of the big, again, another big eye-opener I had going from 15, 20 years studying Western to going over to Vedic astrology was the notion which seems um, quaint and old fashioned in the West, but the idea that certain people have very powerful horoscopes. And I think this is the expectation that a lot of people have, a lot of clients would have when they go into astrology, they sort of say, well, certain people, you know, must be, their horoscope must be very powerful. But I think the modern take on this is that, I think the modern hype is that we all are potential superstars, that we can all, you know, all you have to do is work very hard, get your social media together, and you too can be, you know, whoever. Um, and that, you know, if you, if you haven't made it to be, you know, into hyper fame, then, you know, there's, there must be something wrong with you or something like that. But actually, I think that the, the mega stars really, it's possibly only given to certain people to be, to have a certain, to have great wealth, to have great fame, to have great influence is, um, it's not necessarily given to everybody. And if that seems harsh or judgmental or limiting then really the idea of fulfillment is an individual thing the idea is that you're you become integrated that you have a spiritual life that you're happy in your work that you're fulfilled in what you do that is success really whereas if you are a hollywood megastar you know there's all the pitfalls that um and not everybody's cut out for that necessarily so yeah, what I'm saying is that, that I was actually writing about that the other day, just in the terms of, um, you know, law of attraction and manifestation and people are very much into yeah, exactly. boards and they want to manifest this career and this car and, 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 yeah. and this house. And, and, and what I was saying is that, you know, manifesting all these things doesn't remove life challenges. If you become a billionaire, then you have billionaire problems. And the example I gave is if you're a billionaire, there are people who want to kidnap your children and ask for a ransom. So yeah. every, for my, I guess from my experiences is that, you know, every life has, has the potential to be fulfilled and the chart sort of offers, offers the wisdom of how to get the most out of your life, yeah. not out of uh, Tom Cruise's life. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we, we, we're not all, we're not all necessarily cut out to be that. Um, and for me, Vedic astrology tells you more about, you can see a certain chart, you think, well, they would actually be potentially be very, um, wealthy or very powerful or very influential potentially. Um, but also you can have someone whose chart will be very spiritual or very mm -hmm. uh, inwardly fulfilled, but just finding your own Dharma, which is your own truth, your own path in life and attuning yourself with that and just being um, and following your own path in life. That's, I think, something which is very mm -hmm. amenable 
through Vedic astrology, which Western astrology for me has tended, is lost a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's almost viewed as being like anachronistic or quaint or old fashioned that, you know, that we should have this and we should post these kind of judgmental limitations on you, or actually we're all potential megastars. That's the kind of the Western view. And there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's something in that. You don't want to impose a glass ceiling too much. But at the same time, it's about cooperating with your destiny. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the, the big eye-openers I found in, uh, in studying Vedic astrology when I, I, I first started to get into it um, properly. And um, uh, there's, a, there's a story from, from Maharishi Mahesh Yogi that I, uh, that I found interesting. It relates, relates to this. And I don't take these things always too literally. Uh, however, it was interesting. He said that in this day and age, quite often, uh, you know, waking people, people in cosmic consciousness, they might just have like a simple job, like a gardener on the estate of the billionaire. <laughs> yeah, right. And I think there's a lot to simplicity. People, are, people I know that I feel are, you know, very advanced spiritually. I noticed that a lot of them really favor uh, simple lives. And not, I, I'm not getting into the track of materiality is bad and, yeah. you know, yeah. being yeah. rich is yeah. not spiritual and all of that. But yeah. Yeah. It, like the example I gave uh, earlier, I mean, there has to be a level of complexity uh, in, in fame. And I, you and I have uh, something in common that we, uh, we love football, uh, soccer. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I, I like watching interviews with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, who, his, who actually has the biggest Instagram following in the world. So yeah. <laughs> if, yeah. if Instagram is the marker, he's actually the most famous person in the world and I saw a great interview with him and he said I cannot go to the playground with my kid you know I can't go to the shopping mall I can't do any of uh, any of these things so um you know there's such a sort of a well, focus on on faith people who seem to I mean he he seems to wear it very lightly I mean for that that kind of level of of success and recognition I mean not I mean, it would drive some people nuts but he seems to wear it mm-hmm. quite comfortably and then you take, you know, his contemporary like Lionel Messi, again, who seems to be a very good guy. You don't hear of him falling out of nightclubs or anything. Compare and contrast with Diego Maradona, who passed recently, mm-hmm. who, had a, who had a different kind of path in life. So everybody's different. Um, it's, there's, there's no guarantee that, you know, success or fame is going to give you this or this or this. But it, it's about cooperating with your, your own and finding your own fulfillment. Well, um, it, it, I, this kind of blows my mind, though. I try to think about it because you were talking about that. Like, not everybody, like you said, not everybody's destined to have this, this fame success level. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you have any idea? How do you, how do you get to get a Cristiano Ronaldo life? I mean, there's, there's how many people play soccer football on the planet? Yeah. And then there's, there's, there's probably two that are really, they're actually at a quantum level, they're like a dimension above everybody else, these two players, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. How do you get a chart like that? It's, it's, it's a gift. I mean, um, I think inherent in the astrology is the idea of karmic pasts. Yeah. So the, the idea that your chart is the, is the aggregate, not just of your previous life, but of, of many, many previous lives, all your previous lives, and that it, just, just, it would just come together. And I, and I do think that success on that 
level, on that global level, would be very much predestined and that you would just have a, a fantastic, I mean, actually, um, Ronaldo and Messi, the, the charts are available, well-known. Mm -hmm. I was looking at, um, who's the French guy, uh, Zidane's chart. It's extraordinary from a Vedic standpoint because he not only was a mega player, but he's become a manager. Okay, it's, so you're talking about Zinazan Zidane. He's a he's yeah, famous, yeah. Uh, he was probably the best player in the world at one point, a French. Yeah, uh, French yeah, about 10, 20 years ago, he, when he was a player. And he subsequently went on to become a coach and he's actually almost outstripped himself as a player, as a coach. He's one of the few who's actually become mega successful at both. And his chart is just absolutely extraordinary. So you think, well, whatever you, if you were to look at his chart when he was a baby, you'd think, well, whatever he goes into, mm -hmm. he's probably going to do pretty well. He's, he's probably going to have, you know, quite a fulfilled life in, and, and be quite influential in whatever field he goes into. And for me, that's more visible through Vedic astrology than it is through Western astrology. Mm -hmm. Not saying that Western astrology can't do it, but I think that the techniques that Vedic astrology has got are better for identifying um, those kinds of charts. And also for pitfalls as well, for identifying things which are going to be difficult in life. If someone is going to be um, unhappy or gonna have problems or gonna have difficulties, then that's also becomes um, quite visible and quite um, tangible as well. Excellent. Uh... And then, I mean, actually your, your question, I mean, you were asking also, um, one of the main, the most obvious differences when you're looking at um, Vedic astrology as opposed to Western astrology is the different zodiacs. Mm -hmm. So you were asking about sidereal and tropical, which is a, a vexed question. Um, Vedic astrology has always used the sidereal system. And these two are basically, it's about how you define the zodiac. Um, the Western tropical system is defined. Is the start point is the, the vernal equinox. And we're here on the, in the winter equinox, actually on the winter solstice rather. And the, the vernal equinox is the um, on or about the 21st of March. So when the sun passes over this point, that they, they take that to be the first day of the, of the zodiac in the West. Whereas the sidereal system, sidereal means of the stars, they use a fixed star to determine where the zodiac starts. And the, the equinoxes are moving. So they're moving gradually backwards, whereas the, the fixed stars will basically remain fixed. So it makes more sense to use a fixed star rather than a, a moving invisible point, which is hard to measure as your start point, particularly if you're an ancient peoples. So Western astrology also originally used the sidereal zodiac and the sidereal zodiac just simply means that you use a prominent fixed star to determine whereabouts the zodiac starts. That's the start point of the zodiac. So it's, and this is something which is not generally discussed. It's not, certainly not taught in the West. Certainly when I was learning astrology, it, it doesn't tend to be discussed or taught or even mentioned, you know, this, certain things which you say you learn in maybe you learn in high school or you learn in your first degree first year of your undergraduate course there's certain things which you may learn the foundations which you learn which you you know you, you quickly forget but then you can kind of refer back to refresh your memory and it's kind of somewhere in there 
but the idea of the difference between the zodiacs is really not taught or discussed at all. It tends to be brushed under the carpet. So when you see the discussions about it on social media, on Twitter and so forth, you get so many different versions of what it actually means. You get people who sort of say, well, sidereal uses 13 signs. Sidereal is only used in Vedic astrology. Sidereal is your past life or this kind of thing where it's actually very simple, but just simply has just disappeared from the discourse really. So I'm hoping that if we are going into some kind of a reset or an awakening, then that's going to apply into astrology as well. And we get back to the original idea of stellar divination based on the actual position of the stars. Very good. Uh, in your, when I gave your intro, I mentioned that one of the services that you provide is Vedic remedies. Mm. And I know maybe that's also an aspect of Vedic astrology that doesn't exist to the same extent in Western astrology. Can you explain what Vedic remedies are? Well, again, it, it's something which used to be in the West. They would use um, talismans and gemstones and so on. It was, it's very much a traditional, because the, the point being is that if you're going to predict the future for somebody, um, then what's the point if you actually can't do anything about it? Mm -hmm. um, it's, but again, Vedic astrology has a very good system, um, very integrated system of remedies. So you can say, for example, or rather than saying, well, you know, you're in a very difficult Saturn Mars period, good luck. You can say, um, well, therefore do this, do this recite this mantra, take this, use, wear this gemstone, perhaps have this pundits to perform this chanting for you. And that will to some degree offset some of the, uh, the harsh or coarse energies that are going to be around you for a given period of time, for a predictable, for a very precisely predictable period of time. Uh, can you explain again, what that is? Uh, you, you said pundits, uh, chanting, yeah. can you explain what that is? So in India, there are, there's a, um, a strata of their society which is given over to who are, whose role in, in life is, is dedicated um, to, to perform these kind of um, ceremonies, which, is based on your, which are based on your individual horoscope. So if you're having an individual um, puja or yagya, as it's called, done, um it's based on your individual horoscope and the idea is that chanting of mantras will harmonize or sweeten some of these this particular harsh or coarse energy that sometimes that certain planetary combinations will give and so the analogy has been made with music so if you have certain notes which go together which are very dissonant it makes a very harsh and kind of grating sound you can introduce a third sort of tone into it, which is going to make a more harmonious kind of sound. And your experience of it is going to be smoother. So your experience in life will be smoother. So it will smooth your passage through certain predictable, difficult periods of time. And so you can do it in different ways. You can either have the pundit or have the astrologer look at your chart and say, well, actually you're going to be going into this period of time and so on. And these remedies will be helpful for you. Or you can say, I would like to do a certain thing. I would like to bring a certain event about. So you can do the election, as we were talking about earlier. You can pick a certain time to do certain actions. But also you can have chanting and mantras and the kind of the energy behind you, remote healing behind you, 
in order to help bring that thing about and to remove the obstacles from your path and to make that thing smoother for you. Wow, I, I like the analogy you gave uh, with the, the musical notes. And I remember hearing about, uh, about these pujas, yagyas from the perspective of, of sound that, uh, that when life's in balance, it's like the sequence of sound that the, the creation is made up of sound. It's what the Vedas are about and that the sound yeah. unfolds in, in a correct sequence. But when there's an illness or something's bad, like the sequence is off. So, um, the chanting is like the correct sequence. And so yeah. that brings it back into balance. Is, is it like that? Yeah, very much so. And it's a very, very traditional uh, Indian Vedic way of using astrology and a very, very integral part of Vedic culture and life. And the idea that these um, performances are being revived is a big thing in the world today. It's a big, it's a big deal. And um, the availability of um, these technologies, these performances, is is a very great blessing. It's um, it's a it's a very it's a very big thing, and um, and they will just speed your progress through. So you know what it's like sometimes. You just again the feeling that maybe you, you you're a little bit stuck or you can't get a purchase on what you're trying to do. You're just in a certain place, and sometimes you just need a little bit of luck you just need something to go for you whether it's in your business in your relationship or whatever it's in you're trying to do you just can't get a start and the yoga is not going to do it all for you it's not necessarily going to guarantee a, a perfect outcome but it will just smooth the um, your path remove and, and to the extent that you also meet it with action at your end mm -hmm. that you meet it with, with effort then your efforts will be better rewarded. You'll get better value for your efforts. So like if you're having a, a, a yagya for your business, for example, what you find is that even if you've just put your business card up on the local notice board in a coffee shop, you find that maybe someone's going someone's to call that number or whereas before they didn't. And mm -hmm. you just need that break, which is just going to give you a start, give you some encouragement and just give you a start there and that that's what you tend to find it's it can be quite subtle but you just need that to to turn that corner and that the yagya will bring about something which may have happened for you anyway but the yagya makes it happen more smoothly and quickly and to the extent or depending on how much of it you have done if you were to have several days performed then this can be make things move very quickly indeed and to that extent, it becomes quite life-changing uh, because you, you move through something much more quickly, which may otherwise have taken you months or years, or you may never actually have resolved. And um, again, it, it may have happened anyway, but it would have just been much more complicated. You would have just gone through a path of many, many more kind of windings otherwise. So I really like, that. Um, I really, I really like that concept. It relates a little bit to kind of a principle I believe in is, is, is the principle of letting go. And it, I do guiding and, and coaching for people and I really believe in letting go. And uh, one of the things I've said is there's very little in life um, that isn't improved by taking a break from it. <laughs> like if you're eating too much, take a break from eating fast a little bit, 
if yeah. you're stressed from work, then take uh, take a vacation. If the relationship is getting too hot, does that take you know take a <coughs> take a little break I, and come back? A hundred percent. I always say to people, I mean, there's, there's particular astrological signatures which relate to that. But certain times, you know, you feel that you're like you just rushed off your feet, and in the nature of those times, sometimes is you feel that you can't let go. You know, you feel like you're constantly on a deadline. You're constantly sort of being pushed and rushed and so on, and that you have to be totally across everything. What I would say is take a break, have a holiday, go away, lie on a beach for a week, then come back, and you'll be amazed at the difference it makes. And sometimes it's, it's, it becomes absolutely imperative. And um, meditation is like that too, having yeah. a, a break. And that's, that's kind of like your own personal little... Um, Vedic ceremony or your own kind of meditation, your own um, escape. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, that will also help you um, to, get, to get that sense of perspective. And, um, and so that's why, again, particularly if you're doing Vedic astrology, you, you really need to have a meditation practice as well. That's as much part of the path as, as studying the, the, the techniques and the books and so on. Certainly since I've been working with a um, very traditional Vedic pundit, I've probably learned more about, he's probably taught me more specifically about mantra chanting um, than actually about astrology per se, mm -hmm. because it's, it, it really is like 50-50. Um, I mean, what, what I wanted to add about the letting go is and related to uh, these uh, pujas and yagyas where you have the, you have the the experts chant these mantras in 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 India. Is, is that for me? It's also part of the letting go. Is it's like a petition to the divine. It's yeah. like saying it's a little bit like throwing your hands up and saying, you know, I don't really know how to move forward, how to handle this on the level of my own mind. So I'm going to petition to kind of a higher a higher force and, and that's not to like diminish the preciseness of how you know the Vedic mantras uh, and work but that that aspect of saying um, you know my small self doesn't really know how to handle this how to get to get through this thing and I'm going to get a yagya or, 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 yeah. or puja and it, and it feels it just feels it will just smooth it off. And again, there are particular, depending on your own individual horoscope, but there are certain signatures which you have, which, which would just feel, the energy just feels very coarse. We all have that experience of sometimes it feels like you're wading through treacle in life. You can't get a foothold, you can't get a toehold. And um, the, the yagya and the remedy will, um, will help you mm -hmm. with that. And again, that, that idea of a, an integrated, the lifestyle aspect of it is again, something which um, appealed to me very much about Vedic astrology um, per se. Whereas in the West, again, it, it's something that they, they used to have. But in my opinion, um, the, the, decline of Western astrology really has been to the extent that they're using the wrong zodiac. I mean, there's, there's people who will be upset with me for saying that, but um, there, there is only and can only be one zodiac. Um, but the idea that one is falling behind the other and falling increasingly 
out of whack with the um, with the proper measure is it has all these other unintended consequences mm -hmm. whereas it, it's, it's losing its predictive power it's losing its losing its mojo really and uh, it's becoming increasingly psychologized and it just becomes warm words without any you know with increasingly little power actually to make a positive difference and that's because um, the, the, the fundamental premise of it is being um, eroded. Great. Uh, can can we come to the present moment now? Yeah. And uh, today's an auspicious day. It's the it's the winter solstice, but it's also the Jupiter Saturn conjunct. Is that the correct way to say it? Sure um, is. Yeah. And this is very uh, this is very powerful. So, can you talk about? what that means and what it might mean for the next few months and, and yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so so today is the 21st of december this is the big day i mean it would be the uh the winter solstice in any event uh, the winter solstice is the, um where the sun um reaches its uh southernmost point before it about it, it starts its, its northernmost part so it's, it's the darkest day of the year and um as it happens this year We've also got the, the coming together, the very close coming together, actually, of Jupiter and Saturn. And they've been together on, the, on or about the same degree for about a week. But today is the day where they come together absolutely pinpoint exact. And if you've got a clear sky, then you can actually see them almost appearing as a double star. And um, it's very interesting, actually. It's been called the Star of Bethlehem because it's the Christmas star. But that the speculation is actually that that was... Um, in 7 BC, there was a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction and uh, in Pisces at that time. And so the idea of the, the wise men coming from the East, that was clearly the, the pundits and the Jyotishis coming, um, following the, uh, the star from, from India. But um, so the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction is an archetypal coming together. Saturn is the planet of karma and success and hard work and business and boundaries and, um, all the kind of grown-up stuff and Jupiter is expansion, good fortune, spirituality, spontaneity. So it's kind of stick and twist, it's bull and bear, it's two opposing but complementary forces which have come together and they come together in their orbits every 20 years. So the last one was in, the last Jupiter-Saturn conjunction was in year 2000, previous to that it was in 8081, previous to that it was in 6061, Previous to that, it was in 1940, and so on. And so, so, so was the the, uh, the inauguration of Kennedy was not long after. Yeah, exactly. And actually, the 61. I mean, that was particularly significant. Uh, that was also that was also in Capricorn. So this this year's one is in sidereal Capricorn. The 61 conjunction was also in sidereal Capricorn. 1961. What happened with the Berlin Wall? As you say, it was Kennedy. It was the height of the Cold War era, but I think the Berlin Wall was the physical symbol of division, of um, boundaries and barriers. And that was um, a particularly amazing showing. And then it came down in 91, which was like a cycle and a half later. So I think with the media reporting of this particular conjunction, it's, I think you can't help but be drawn into this idea of the correlations between historic events and this kind of very visible um, showing in the sky. 
So every 20 years we get this. And what's significant about this one is that um, it's in sidereal Capricorn. And that's a difference. You see, you'll see Western astrologers saying this is in Aquarius, but actually in the sidereal zodiac, it's in Capricorn. And I think with the authoritarian kind of flavor that we've got at the moment, lockdowns and so on, um, Christmas being canceled, that to me speaks more of a, of a kind of Capricornian kind of tone and flavor. So it's significant um, because it tends to influence culture, business, politics, administration, fashions for the next 20 years. In 2000, the conjunction was um, in Aries. And actually looking back, that reminds me or says how precarious potentially that sort of just pre 9-11 period was. We, we came through it without actually having a third world war, but it could so easily have gone sideways, even worse than it did. Um, the, the 1940 conjunction was in Aries, which is a sign of, it's a fire sign, it's a sign of, of war and so on. And so you don't have to be, you know, particularly astrologically knowledgeable to sort of see very easily to draw the symbolism from these um, big comings together. And what's also significant about this particular one is that the conjunctions happen every 20 years, but they move in elements. Mm -hmm. So over the course of the 20th century, the, the, the comings together move from the fire element into the earth element. And now going forwards, they're going to, the conjunctions every 20 years are going to be in the earth element right up until 2159. So 200 years forwards from 1961, it's um, all the conjunctions are going to be in um, in Earth, so which gives a so it, it suggests that the earthy kind of um, issues of politics, administration, economics, natural resources are going to be maybe agriculture as well are going to be the big deal as we move from the internal combustion engine onto more natural sustainable resources and so on. The idea that petrol is going to become obsolete as a as a commodity and so on. This is all very relevant at the moment. And the idea that the, the battles are going to be not so much fought on the battlefield, but just on a sort of political maneuvering kind of level, who's gonna take control. And um, this is all up for grabs at the moment. So it is, it is quite a, albeit that these, time, these moments come every 20 years, so it's not exceptionally rare, but the fact that it's come um, on the solstice and it's come when we are actually in the midst of all this very obvious, very self-evident change is, is quite a big showing, really. Can, can we talk about that change? Uh, it's something that I talk a lot about and mm -hmm. people in, what, do you wanna, uh, what should we call it, the sort of the awakening space, and we talk a lot about the kind of the collapse of the, the old structures yep. and you know, come in the new age, Sat Yuga, and you know, many people feel that 2020 was sort of, really was a transition year, like 2020 was the new 2012. And, and then 2021, we're just gonna see an acceleration kind of of the, of, the, of the collapse of maybe of structures of institutions that are not aligned with um, you know, the highest human I, ideals. Is there anything relevant? Is this relevant to yeah, yeah. that and Jupiter contract? I, th I think so, um, particularly because uh, Capricorn is, this, is the sign of administration. It's, it's a hierarchical 
uh, sign. It's very much about the end justifies the means and it's about business as usual, it's politics, it's power. Um, and also what has happened from actually from a Western standpoint is that um, on New Year's Eve actually, um, Pluto, which is a, an outer planet, which is a trans-Saturnian planet, which is not traditionally used in um, Vedic astrology, is also moving into Capricorn. And the, so it's a, it's a big movement into the sign of politics and administration, which it can't, you know, it, it can't go unnoticed really. And just looking back, I mean, this is how we work as astrology. We sort of look at past president, precedent and see, well, if it worked like that, then if you see how it worked in the past, then quite possibly that's going to give us a clue how things are going to work in the future. So previous to 1961, the previous Saturn-Jupiter conjunction in Capricorn, I mean, they happen every 20 years, but the last Capricorn conjunction was in the year 1286. It was like 800 years ago. So what happened in 1286? Well, that was the time of the Ninth Crusade, I believe. And it was the time when um, Edward III was uh, riding roughshod over the Scots. And also there was a tidal surge um, from the North Sea, which um, engulfed part of the Suffolk coast. Um, so that's quite interesting. Um, and so the, and Pluto was also in Capricorn at that time. So please goodness, that's not going to happen again. But um, it's, and then the uh, Pluto was in Capricorn at the time of Henry VIII's dissolution of the monasteries. Also at the time of the uh, industrial, the age of revolution at the end of the 18th century, between about 1770 and 1790, I believe. So there are these historical examples um, and the idea of the, the Reformation when Pluto was previously in Capricorn, I think is particularly interesting. Um, the idea of a power grab, Pluto is about power and actual stone structures. So the, the state grabbed hold of the monasteries and took them back into their own hands. And so arguably, um, because the, the economic consequences of what's going on at the moment with the lockdown and the idea of small businesses losing their most profitable time of year, you know, the Christmas week, Christmas two weeks, and how much longer we're going to be, this is, there's not been any limitations imposed on this so far. Um, nobody said, well, actually, we're only going to be locked down until X. It just seems to be open-ended what the impact of this is going to be on small businesses is incalculable. Um, and either they're saying, well, actually, it doesn't matter, or else there's some kind of um, purpose behind this. And I think Pluto and Capricorn has got form, uh, in addition to the Jupiter-Saturn, for um, this kind of end justifying the means. Mm -hmm. What about secrets being revealed is there anything yeah in yeah. in, in the yeah. planets in the jodish that shows that i that, think i think highly, which, i think that which I has think, been previously I, hidden is, is going to be revealed i think that's also a symptom of 
rising world consciousness. I think that is um, a symptom of just the lights going on generally. It's like I think that these the sort of secrets and the, the conniving and the skullduggery has always gone on. Basically, it's not that it's suddenly increased. <laughs> it's just that we're more aware of it now. It's like the, the lights are gone and you see the sort of cockroaches scuttling around the floor. They were always there, but now you can just see them basically. And um, I think Pluto is about the underworld, about what's underneath the surface. And again, in the sign of Capricorn, which is, is government really. It's um, and also traditional government, hierarchical government. It's about nepotism and maintaining the status quo um, and building walls and um, exclusion and gatekeeping. That's a very Capricornian kind of theme that we'll see a lot about this. And it's going to be the, the existing powers, the traditional powers are going to try and cling on desperately to their privileges and to their status versus the, the new energy and the new awakening, which is going to be shining light on that and saying, actually, it doesn't always have to be like this. So I think there's going to be a, quite a strong push-pull between the two sides. So uh, when, when there's, I guess this is another zillion dollar question. Uh, when do you see in the Jyotish, in the, in, in the planets, say in the next year to five years going out, do you, is there something very strong that indicates kind of a breakthrough for humanity that we... Well, without wanting to go too deeply into it, the sidereal um, paradigm is based on the idea of the, the uh, procession of the equinoxes and the, the processional cycle. So the idea that the equinoxes process backwards and all together to go around the entire zodiac is a period of some 26,000 years. I think it's 25,920 years, give or take. So the idea of a great year is a sidereal notion. That's, um, and that seemed, that knowledge seemed to be baked into ancient myths. It seems to be just something which is intrinsic and inherent in uh, a lot of esoteric traditions, this idea of a great cycle mm -hmm. and a great year. So this point we're at at the great year is where there is a, a cross symbol and the idea that there's one school of thought which actually that Kali Yuga is not this astronomical length of time stretching off into all eternity but is a much more localized kind of time period which is actually now over. So the Kali Yuga is, is what, the, the age of ignorance, the age of darkness? Or? Yeah, and the age of materialism and the age of hypocrisy. Yeah. Uh, where we, where we, we forget the, the spiritual side, we just focus purely on the material, where life is very short, there's constant wars and there's disease and life is generally pretty miserable. Um, and I think self-evidently, we're living longer. I think that's one sim symptom that actually we're out of this time. So if you look back to, say, the Middle Ages or, God forbid, mm -hmm. Dark Ages, well, you were lucky if you lived to 30 or 40 years old. Um, most people, or many, many people died in childbirth. And so with advances in medicine and advances um, in, in technology and in science, out of all proportion to the last 100 years, out of all proportion to the times that went before, mm -hmm. the idea is that some would say that we're actually now into a power yoga. This may not be it may not contradict the idea of a bigger Kali Yuga, it may be wheels within wheels, 
it may be like a smaller cycle within the, the, great, the greater scheme of things. But the equinoctial cycle is not purely just an astronomical phenomenon. The idea of the Earth just wobbling on its axis is slightly, but it's a, a very profound, very esoteric, mystical notion that is, um, has a profound mystical significance as well. And the idea that the point where we are now on the equinoctial cycle is very significant in terms of the cycle of the yugas as well, and that we're making a big breakthrough and coming into a much more spiritually oriented kind of time. Well, uh, can't argue with uh, <laughs> can't argue with with that. I mean, that's uh, something that uh, there's been so much talk about, and I mean, it just feels amazing to be really like in like it seems like we are in the epicenter of transition at this time. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, you and I, like I said, we both come from a sort of similar kind of um, similar background in the, in the meditation sense. And um, people always say, you know, to me as an astrologer, say, well, actually, did you, did anybody predict this? Did anybody say that this sort of time was coming, you know, as, particularly as of this year when, you know, clearly everything has got, become very strange. Um, so did anybody say that this was going to come well? From the uh, from the TM standpoint, I think they talked about very little else. Um, it seems that they were constantly talking about the idea of a of an awakening, a more spiritual time to come. And it's not until we actually start to see the the manifestation of the the old ways disappearing that people sort of sit up and take notice. They'll sort of say, "Oh yeah, heaven on earth. Yeah, we've heard it. Yes, yes, yada yada." But it seems to be. And the idea of a, of a transition is like the kettle boiling and then the water turning into steam or whatever. That seems to be the, the point that we're going to with the most agitation in the phase transition and so on. That that perhaps is what we're, um, what we're heading into over the next few years. And hopefully it, uh, hopefully it won't be too disruptive. Um, we, can, we can bring about a, hopefully a relatively smooth transition, hopefully. Wonderful. Thank, thanks for all those uh, deep insights. Adam, I really, I really appreciate Great. that. And uh, I'd like to conclude with, uh, if you could answer the question, people, if people are interested in Vedic astrology, how do they get started? Where, where can they go to get started? Um, again, if, you, if you're starting from scratch, um, then there's, there's never really been a better time to study astrology with, with the internet. There's a million sites out there. So you'll find a teacher who you um, resonate with and who you can relate to. Um, there are many courses. Um, my website, astrovedas.com, we will be uh, offering courses and classes, I think, um, fairly soon. My teacher, uh, Pandit Lakshmi Shankar Shukla, is a very experienced Jyotishi, would give uh, Skype um, and zoom classes which you, you would be getting your astrology you'll be getting your vedic astrology from um from a, from a good authority from a, uh, a so you, you offer that through your website yeah okay excellent i'll put all your information yeah thanks will be in the description. um and um people can learn certainly people can learn um western and sidereal oriented astrology from me to some degree Vedic astrology, but we, we will be offering classes, um, I hope, um, which will be accessible to everybody. And also on levels, I mean, there are some people who've studied Western astrology who want to um, 
look into the Vedic stuff, which I recommend, by the way. It's not simply the same thing from a different standpoint. You will get appreciably more knowledge and um, more and better knowledge if you study Vedic astrology as well. So you will get something different and better. Um, but there will be people who will be just beginning. Um, so there'll be um, courses there for um, all levels, basically. It's, it's a very good time. Um, the um, personal computer was the biggest leap forward for astrologers since the invention of the telescope, really. The idea that, that there was a lot of people who would be very intuitive and quite tuned in and probably quite good readers who would struggle with the math, but now you just press the buttons and so on and you can have a chart up in front and you can go straight into the creative side. Um, so for the, you know, the casual um, hobbyist or so on, it's, it, there's, there's never been a better time to study astrology. And you can use that and you can dismantle a chart, you can deconstruct it, you can sort of um, project it and so forth, all sorts of different ways. All the techniques are available to you now with, um, with computers and uh, with the internet. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, so all of that will be in the description. Um, I just want to say that this was an incredibly uh, rich experience for me hearing about uh, all of your knowledge and uh, I'd love to Pleasure. have you back on sometime. And, uh, I'd, love, I'd, love to, I'd love to do it. I mean, things are changing so fast. I mean, who knows where we're going to be? I mean, um, I, I can look forward and make projections. Um, and actually, the, um, I think that the, the change in politics, I mean, to that extent, was actually more predictable and it was more expected than actually the, the supposed cause of it, i.e. I, the, uh, the virus. But where we are now, I think we're actually in more sort of predictable and more familiar kind of surroundings. So it will be interesting to sort of see where we are in a few months or a year from now. So it would be great to get back and talk to you again. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, I'd love that. And I know people are very interested in that. I mean, part of this show is, is I want people to be able to get to know our guests about their own life experience and how they got to the gifts that they're sharing. And I, I, I really enjoyed how you shared everything today about your, your, your experience. And I hope that people will be inspired to uh, maybe follow in your footsteps. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, great. Great. Thank you so much, Adam. Pleasure. Thank you.